0: This podcast is brought to you by drunkmummysobermummy.com and made in association with hellosundaymorning.org, changing the world's relationship with alcohol, one Sunday at a time. Well, the kettle's boiled. Great. Perfect timing. Should we get started then? I'm Victoria Vanstone. I'm Lucy Good, and this is Sober Awkward.
1: Right, Lucy, over to you. Thanks, Vic. So whatever stage you're at on your sober journey, and Vic and I are at completely different stages, you'll know that life without booze can at times feel, what do you reckon?
0: Awkward. Lucy and I invite you to listen to our podcast where we discuss the realities of sobriety, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the cringingly embarrassing. Our honest and open chats will help you discover what it really means to be sober.
1: Yes, we're here, like a dodgy bottle of port from your nan's drink cabinet, to take the edge off sobriety. And together, we can learn how to feel the awkward and do it anyway. I haven't actually worked out what mine are going to be yet. I've I've got to to think about that. I think mine's going to be to shout at my
0: poor little darlings less. You don't shout at them all that much. Alan, what's your New Year's resolution? Don't have one. You don't have one. Come on, something. You must have something. Can't think of any one. Perfect, I reckon. True. is true. He is perfect. He is the perfect human specimen, isn't he? <laughs> With his man. McDonald's and. <laughs> <laughs> Pop-tarts. <laughs> uh, Alan and I will have to have a good think about our New Year's
1: resolutions.
0: Yeah, we will. How was your Christmas, Lucy? We're recording this on the 27th of
1: December, so we've just all yeah. had Christmas. And Yeah, how was yours, Lucy Lou? Yeah, quite different to what I expected. My, the last podcast, if anyone listened to that one, I was very confident about Christmas. You were. You were excited about it. You were dancing around the tree like a happy little elf, weren't I you? I was, yes, I was. And I did have a good Christmas. Um, however... Uh, Christmas stroke drinking side of things was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. But I did make it through. Uh, So I just wanted to let the listeners know that I really struggled this Christmas, Christmas number two, and it was quite unexpected. Um, But I made it through. So if anybody else struggled... Um, And perhaps didn't make it through and did end up having a drink. Don't be too hard on yourself. Christmas, alcohol, it's such a hard time for us sober people. It is, it is actually. And I still find it hard, Lucy. I still have to sort of grit my teeth a little
0: bit and get on with it. But I I did organise the alcohol-free drinks tasting uh, mocktail making session at home, which was fun. Everybody was well into it. And we all made like... um, like a ginger fizz was my one, and we somebody else did one with elderflower, and we put mint. And I did actually get parrots on sticks, which are my favourite things. I and mean, we actually also <laughs> had sparklers in them.
1: I put sparklers in. You were so excited I about was. that I was game, excited. It was you? nice to have
0: something that didn't involve drinking on Christmas Day. It was nice, as we said before, it was nice to make a new tradition. So yes. everybody really enjoyed it. But I'm sorry you didn't enjoy it. Well, you did enjoy it to a
1: point. Yes, but the drinking did felt feel quite present for you. Mind the pun. It did. <laughs> Yeah, it certainly did. Even in the morning, which was a beautiful Christmas morning, um, it was just myself and the kids, loads of presents, uh, really yummy breakfast, speaking to friends and family on the phone. It was just great. And Christmas Eve was lovely, but even on that Christmas morning, when it was just me and the kids, it was—I felt it's was Christmas day, I should be having a drink. Yeah, that bucks. So it, it already started then. And then at about lunchtime, I gave my kids a lift down to their dad's boat where they were going to spend a few hours on the boat with him and have a uh, late lunch. So posh. It, yeah, very all
0: nice. Lunch on the boat.
1: Yeah, all very well it isn't posh <laughs> but, <laughs> but they enjoy it and it's something different for them to do. But to get from my house to the boat we had to drive down the main street with all the bars and clubs yes. etc on. Yeah. So I saw everybody out and about enjoying themselves and celebrating with alcohol. So that was a big trigger for me and then when I got home I was on my own for about five hours on Christmas Day I had lots of invites to go places but I did find it really difficult I felt I'd be easier just staying at home Mm. away from alcohol but yeah was I, I had to actually go back to some of the methods that I used to get through the first 100 days which is what we're going to be talking about today so that was really interesting I hadn't used any of those tools for such a long time I just hadn't needed them but I did have to dust them off yep. and get them out the box yep. and use them on Christmas Day afternoon, just sitting there thinking, I've just got to get through the next five minutes and then the five minutes after that and then the five minutes after that. And then when it came round to Christmas Day evening around about six, seven o'clock, I knew my kids were going to be back and I was looking forward to that. That was a distraction and I... The feeling had gone. I could hear a big party happening up the road, which was a massive trigger for me. Not that Mm. I have any problems with them having a party on Christmas Day. Good for them. But listening to that all day was really... Difficult. Did you call the police? <laughs> put in a noise complaint. <laughs> right the on noise, Scrooge. The people down the road are having a party. How dare they? Uh, but then I, the the noise of the party changed. Vic, as the day went on, yeah, it was more really raucous. Yes, it was really celebratory at the beginning, and it sounded really good fun. And then by about six o'clock, after a <laughs> <laughs> massive day Retching of drinking noises, yeah, oh, people the words were slurred, and I was like, thinking, I'm really glad I'm not a part yeah. of that. But yeah. I did need to get through. Yes. to hear the, the the sort of remnants of the Christmas party yeah. going, spiralling downhill. Yeah. And then I started feeling all smug and sober. Well,
0: that's the reality of it. You know, you were missing that first drink. You were missing that feeling of euphoria. But that isn't a reality for us, having a nice day and a nice, no. you know, drinking session on Christmas Day. It would have ended us, you know, with us puking in the toilet and being a total mess and, yes. you know rolling around in our own vomit. That is what I had to remind myself of. Yeah, it's good to play the tape forward. We use that term a lot. Think about, don't think about the drink, the moment of the drink. Think about how you would feel after five drinks or 10 drinks because that's, you know, we're people that can't stop once we start. Mm. There is no one drink. It's a total fallacy.
1: So you have to think beyond that if you have those cravings. Yes, that's right. And uh, so, Vic, other than the alcohol-free cocktail game, which I love because yes. you, the, all your the kids of the family all have joined in with yeah, that. Yeah. And I think that was a really important message. We didn't use
0: anything that tasted like alcohol. We didn't use any of the alcohol-free wines or anything. Yeah. We just used, like, fizzy pop and like just fun stuff. So it was just like mm. a, a, a cheesy Fanta almost. But
1: what you're doing is you're saying to the kids in your family, look, we can have fun on Christmas Day without alcohol. In yeah. fact, we're really really, really putting focus on the fact that this is a non-alcoholic game. And I think that's a really good thing for you to do yep. for the future generation of yep. your family. But other than that brilliant game, which I know you'll be doing next year and I may be strong enough to join in Yes, next year, you were invited. Um, how was your Christmas? <laughs> yeah, it was all
0: right. It was good. Crazy Christmas Day, presents, all that rubbish. But unfortunately, my son Fred had another seizure yesterday, which was Boxing Day. So that wasn't a great day. Um, so we're just trying to work all that. Out again, but here I am. I was in hospital all day yesterday, but I'm here on the podcast, trying to get on with things. So he might have epilepsy, which is what we're mm. trying to work out at the moment. So he's starting medication for that. And the week before, so I always seem to have like, do you remember Baldric from, <laughs> yes, yes, from, Black from Adder. Blackadder? From I'm a bit like Baldrick.
1: You are a little yeah, bit like I've always got Baldrick. something
0: like gross going on. With <laughs> anyway, this week it hasn't been me. The week before, my husband, I had to call an ambulance for because he couldn't breathe in the middle of the night. It was totally a random thing. Um, and he just came in and woke me up and said, I can't breathe properly. I was like, oh, my God, what is going on? The kids are all asleep. I called an ambulance. He was sort of sitting on the couch, not feeling very well. And I went out to meet the ambulance. And I forgot that I'd put this, like, plastic border up that is invisible on my front door. And I tripped over it. And the ambulance pulled up just as I was spread-eagled like a starfish <laughs> face down on the driveway. <laughs> <laughs> like, sort of wriggling around like a fried egg. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was frying. And the ambulance pulled up, and I sort of waved at them from the ground. <laughs> The Queen's wave, was it? Yeah, and they were like, are you all right? Are you all right? I was like, yeah, I'm all right. I'm okay. And I was like thumbing, going like, he's inside. He's inside. This isn't for me. And I managed to get up and just said, look, this is not a drinking situation. It just looked like I was kind of passed out
1: from alcohol on the front drive. They were probably rolling their eyes, thinking, here we go again. Yeah, they've probably been through that
0: five times already that day. And I was like, no, that's not this situation. My husband isn't feeling well. Go outside. So we've had two ambulances called called to our house in a week, which hasn't been great, but hey, we're all okay and we're yes, here. And, you've done really well And we weren't hung over or drunk for any of those situations. <laughs> like I was thinking yesterday when I was, you know, heading to the hospital on Boxing Day, five years ago, there's no doubt about it, I would have been hung over on
1: Boxing yes, Day. Yes, and that would have been horrendous, having Fred have a yeah. seizure and go into hospital yeah. and you had a hangover, and we've talked about that when it happened the first time. You know, you are much more yeah. prepared to deal with life's emergencies when yeah. they Come your way, and they seem to come quite a lot this year. Quite, I said to Vic last night because we were preparing the podcast, and I said, "Well, I'll see you in about twelve hours. Can I trust you Mm. not to have to call the emergency services?" And I said, "No." You can't trust me that ambulances won't be called. Yes, if anyone on the Sunshine Coast needs to call an ambulance and it doesn't come very quickly, it's because Vic's family yes. is clogging up the yeah. system with <laughs> yeah. all their call-outs. Yes,
0: unfortunately, no, it's but me. you've done
1: brilliantly to get here today
0: yes, with it's, all of the this dramas. this is a kind of like a break in the waves. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It like, feels like I just want to come and do this yeah, and be here. Chatting, yeah, we enjoy so. chatting, don't we? And I was laughing because I, I spoke to somebody from our group, um, from my Facebook group this week, um, and she said when I called her she was a bit starstruck that I was like her favourite podcaster was calling her and at the time I was sat outside spotlight almost crying because I didn't have a dollar to get a trolley. (laughs) And there she was going, oh yeah, I'm so excited that you called me my favourite podcaster and I'm just like sat in the car yeah. in the rain, like the most unglamorous thing you could possibly be doing because you're upset because you haven't got a coin for a drop. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> she probably yeah. imagines that we've got like nannies and rain drovers and stuff. Yeah, like. and me and, we, and Lucy yeah. spend our days like picking pasta out of carpets and <laughs> p- getting glitter out of bum holes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, or sorting through washing, yeah. teenagers washing. Yeah, That's so it. there's no glamour so here. So coming everybody. and <laughs> doing the podcast is a light relief for us. We really is. enjoy having the chat, and we yeah. enjoy the fact that we might be helping a few people at the same time. Yeah, but what we're going to talk about today is the first 100 days, um, because it's something that is a really challenging part of your sobriety journey. But looking back, it's also quite enlightening, isn't it? And interesting that on Christmas Day, a couple of days ago, I had to really start thinking about the things that got me through those 100 days. And also because it's coming up to the new year as well, we thought you guys might be interested to know how we got to 100 days. Yeah, because I expect there's a lot of people whose New Year's resolutions are to stop drinking. Yeah. So here we are, like your... Guiding light.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, if you've already done the first 100 days of sobriety, don't hit the pause button and hunt for another podcast. We want to talk about this topic for two reasons. One, to help people who are about to embark on sobriety or are actually in the midst of their first 100 days. And two, because it's important to remember this life-changing time so you can draw on it like Lucy has this week when you feel triggered by alcohol further down the track or to simply keep patting yourself on your smug sober back for
1: making it through and another reason to stay connected to the rickety adventure excuse me I've got a frog in my throat Christmas frog frog. and the rickety adventure that was your first 100 days is so you can help others if they turn to you for support and that does happen quite a lot when you're sober this actually happened to me recently someone asked me a simple question about giving up drinking they said how did you do it how did you do it (laughs) (laughs) help me help me how did you do it someone like you (laughs) you managed to do it (laughs) Um, and at first I couldn't really remember how did I make it through those first months and what were the key things that, after 20 years of trying and failing to moderate made this attempt a success I mean these are things that changed my life Possibly saved my life. Mm-hmm, that's true. Um, and I need to stay connected to how this miracle actually happened for me and in order to support others.
0: I mean, it does feel like a miracle some days. It does. That, and I think, gosh, is. what a
1: drinker I was and now I'm
0: not. That is a miracle. Yeah, I still can't believe it at I times. can't believe it either. In this episode, we'll talk about our own experiences of the first hundred days of sobriety. We'll share some sometimes weird ways we made it work. And for the first time in our alcohol-sodden lives, we succeeded in giving up alcohol. We'll help you to understand what you can expect in those first few months, both physically and mentally.
1: Yep. Uh, We want to give you a sense of how toe-tappingly dance around the room, sing from the rooftops, amazing it feels to accomplish it. And if you're over 100 days or your 100-day milestone is a distant memory, come with us and recapture how you did one of the most amazing things in your life and got bloody sober. Yes. Let's put our listeners in the picture
0: and quickly set the scene as to how and when our 100 days came about. Because our situations are quite different, as they always are between you yeah. and I, Lucy, aren't they?
1: Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but shall I do mine first? Go on then. I, We were talking about this last night when we were preparing for the podcast as to whether I've told this story before. I may have told it on the podcast, but hmm. I think if we can't remember it, our listeners oh, won't. I've just heard it so many fucking so times, Lucy, I fell yeah. off of it.
0: Go it's, on. But it is an interesting story. Just go on, come on, praise me. I don't mind if you tell the whole story <laughs> about how I saved you one more time, I saved your life, pulled you from
1: the gutter. No, I'm not going to mention you now, I'm going to make up something else. Say say Mick instead of Mick. <laughs> I met this really wonderful... Wonderful lady, <laughs> it wasn't Vic. Yeah. Uh, no, well, what happened for me? And so, what we're talking about here is is kind of the moments before the first 100 days, the 100 days that were successful and had us giving up alcohol for life. Um, so, what was the build up? Hmm. Why? What? How did that come about? So, for me, it was a really weird one because I it was September, and I had no intention of. Trying, having another t- attempt at giving up drink drinking, um, I was thinking maybe I'll do it in the new year. That was where I was. I was drinking very, very heavily. I had a chance meeting with Vic where we met for a coffee at ten o'clock on a Tuesday. Should morning. I tell them quickly
0: how that co- chance meeting came yeah. about? I contacted Lucy to write a story for her website about single mums giving up alcohol, and Lucy emailed me back to say I would love to print your article, um, and actually I have my own personal relationship with alcohol. Um, that's why I feel very passionate about this. And as soon as I read that email, I didn't know she was English. I didn't know we were pretty much the same person in a different body at the time. Uh, and I phoned her up and said, do you want to meet up for
1: some porridge?
0: <laughs> yes. And we met pretty much the next day, I think, a couple well, think, of days I later. I think it was a
1: couple of days yeah. later. And, um, yeah, I, I just couldn't believe that somebody who who was struggling with drinking, who had struggled in the past with drinking, had contacted me and it was like, oh, you know, I was desperate for support. I've talked before about being in this dark room with lots of doors and I couldn't open any of them. I felt like one of those doors had just unlocked at mm-hmm. that time of hearing from you. Um, and I went to the 10 o'clock coffee meetup uh, with no expectations, just really to have a chat with you. Um, and I I um, we had a great chat. We were there for about an hour and a half, two hours. And I, I'm i going to use the word because it's really important. I really resonated with Vic and her story. Pass the bucket. <laughs> 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 no, I was like, this is somebody who is still full of life and laughter and love and she's got so much to tell and so many stories. I mean, we were laughing our heads off at some of the crazy things we'd done in our past drinking and drug taking years and when we were in England. We were having a right laugh at the breakfast about it, but the difference was Vic had managed to say, Yeah, that was fun. It was great. I can still laugh about it. But I moved on from that now. Yeah. And I remember Vic saying to me, She had a cup of tea, a pot of tea, and a porridge. And she went, This is me now. And sort of gestured to the porridge and the tea. And I thought, I, uh, that could be me. I could do that. And then I it, we said goodbye, and it was like I was an autopilot. I didn't even really consciously make this decision, but I walked over to the O which is the off license, and I bought a couple of bottles of wine. This was at about what half past. A brilliant influence, I, I know. On you. Yeah, it was like God. All I need, I need to uh, need get to over down. that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I went home, and I started drinking at about midday, and then I stayed in. My kids weren't around. I think they must have been at their dad's, and I had a three-day bender um, where I stayed in and only went out to walk to the Bottle to get more wine Um, and that was the style of my drinking at that time. I'd moved from social drinking to drinking behind closed doors where I could drink more and I didn't disgrace myself too much because I did still manage to make drunken phone calls and Skype conversations did happen. Um, By the third by the third, the second evening, I ended up going for a massive walk to the only bottle that was open in my area, which was about an hour and a half's walk away. Walked all the Crazy. way over there, bought a couple more bottles of wine, came back and actually passed out face down on the living room floor with my winter coat on. Woke up in the morning with my hands still clutching the bag with the wine in mm. and then just opened a bottle and carried on drinking. Gosh, what time did you wake up and carry on drinking? Uh, about- About nine o'clock in the morning. Oh, Lucy. But I knew it was my last hurrah. Mm. But I hadn't even really planned it to myself. There was no real plan there. It was just like I was on autopilot. It's funny that term, the
0: last hurrah, isn't it? It sounds like it's good. Oh, Mm. yeah, the last hurrah. A wonderful day we had. It was the last hurrah. Well, it was Actually, the last hurrah it's the lowest of the low. Mm. Your moment, your rock bottom is a three-day bender. You're waking up on the living room floor with a bag of wine and you continue drinking. So that last hurrah is, a, is it's not it? a great thing. It's not a good thing. But
1: then what happened was I went to bed that night, woke up the following morning, which was Friday, and I stopped and I haven't drunk again. Amazing. So it was That's really the weird. Because the interesting thing about that story is that a week earlier I had no intention of giving up drinking I didn't even know a week earlier that I was going to get sober a week later it's amazing came out of nowhere what we talked about with Sober Dave is that
0: thing what you were talking about earlier Lucy is like you are unconscious for many many years and that is physically and mentally and then suddenly something clicks mm. and you become conscious and you become conscious of what alcohol is doing to you and doing to your life and that's when you really feel really strong is that is that moment between unconsciousness and consciousness yeah. because you just go I, I know what this is doing now I understand it I understand that alcohol isn't working for me anymore and I need to stop and I know some people have all these ups and downs and some people you know st- stop and start and stop and stop but for some people you suddenly do reach that consciousness and you know it's game over.
1: Yes and that was where I was and it came out of nowhere and I believe that for many people who have struggled with their drinking habits over a long period of time and you've reached all these rock bottoms where you've done horrific things that should have made you stop drinking suddenly it just comes upon you like it did to me out of nowhere and you just get sober because it's your time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and it is it can be about timing. Timing and therapy. Sometimes. Timing and yeah. therapy. Yeah, you <laughs> yeah. do
1: need support. It's yes. not just like bang, it comes out of nowhere. Yeah, don't I wait don't for need that. to drink yeah. again. Yeah, <laughs> don't be waiting around, that might never happen. But yeah, so that's an interesting story because I had no intention of giving yeah. up. And not only did I give up, but it was my my successful time, my only successful time yeah. in twenty years of trying. Yeah.
0: It's a different it's different my story because I didn't have like that moment. It took a while for me to get to that moment. As I said, it took therapy. So like But I I knew I had got to the point with my drinking after waking up with a terrible hangover with a six week old baby crying in the background and a four year old like running around on the landing and me not being capable of, of caring for them. And I knew that something had to change. My children were my opening door, like you say. Um, so I did after my first child I did try four years of combining motherhood and booze because um, I was there's that transition that takes place between party girl and mum and that's you know no one prepares you for that you're one minute you're out at, you know a club in Ibiza and the next minute you're at home on your own very very isolated we've talked about that mm. a lot before and that's how I felt I didn't know else how to escape this this new role that I'd taken on which I actually found quite boring mm. you know I love my children but I did find motherhood very boring and very very lonely in the beginning and my only way of course was to drink um so yeah it did reach a point with me where I went because of anxiety and because of the shame and guilt of of being a drunken parent I you know had to reach out for support and and you know those two worlds collided eventually after four years and the birth of my second child um So, yeah, I actually reached out and got therapy. That's where my 100 days started. When I went into that therapy, I was planning on continuing to drink. I thought, right, I'm going to go in there and she's going to tell me that I'm not so bad and that actually I'm going to learn how to be a better drinker and moderate. That's what I was hoping. And I did have a moment in there where I realised that sobriety, you know, after you know, digging into my past and all the things that have happened in my life, I realised that actual full sobriety was an option for me. And that was my timing. You know, it took eight weeks or 10 weeks or towards the end of the 12 weeks of sessions. But there was a point in there where I went, right, actually, I don't want to drink anymore. I became conscious and I realised that actually I don't want this to be part of my life anymore. I am fed up of it. So that's when I started to change. i would become bored of failing, bored of letting people down, and I wanted to be a better mum. So that was
1: it. That was my goal. And I knew that I had to give up drinking. So my 100 days started during therapy. Yeah. So just to condense down what we said, your 100 days started, your successful 100 days, yep. should we say, because there were many attempts at 100 days or yep. giving up to some extent that were failures. I lasted, but the not...
0: longest I'd lasted before that, Lucy, was about three days. Right. Wow. Yeah. 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 So i have never given up huge, drinking this before. This a huge jump. I'd never considered it.
1: Why would I give up drinking? It was the only thing I mm. knew. Yeah, yeah, and you just didn't think you'd be able to do it. So no. why try? Yeah, I couldn't imagine life like how fucking boring would that be? Yeah, mm. but you went into therapy, and that was what 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 jump started your successful sobriety journey. Absolutely, and for, for me, it was about meeting the right person. I yeah. didn't necessarily need that therapy, although I did have some. But what was the most powerful thing for me was meeting somebody who could help me through it. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Two different things. Different things, but both worked. They both worked. And there's many other things that might jumpstart that sobriety journey for the listeners as well. But we just wanted to share what they were for us because they are quite different. Um, and it, it's interesting because a lot of people think you have to set a date. Yeah,
0: and be and like a big
1: dramatic big, yes, thing. Yeah. A big build up to it. You don't have to do that. It can just happen. And in fact, I've found that most people who have been successful, it's just come about and it's like it's your time now.
0: But I think it's always the questioning starts. I think that's always the first point that you reach in in any of this before the 100 days even start you know i was questioning for that whole 4 years after my first yeah. child once the questioning starts you know that that is where you begin the journey once you realize you that i i am questioning it therefore perhaps I have a problem with it. So yeah, it, go, it actually goes back further
1: but you have to reach that, that really interesting turning point. It does, yeah. So look, let's start talking about how we felt in those first few months as well as discussing how other people might expect to feel and I'm talking mentally and physically. So I've actually gone on to Google. It was my turn to Google some oh, you're stuff. you're so clever Lucy know. going on to that I'm Google just, you machine. Know, I, I idolise you and I copy everything you do. Yeah, I'm not surprised. <laughs> um, I got... Uh, a little sentence here about mental symptoms, which actually uh, is really made makes a lot of sense to me. So, basically, mental symptoms um, if you're giving up alcohol, alcohol uh, use overloads the brain with dopamine while also reducing the brain's dopamine receptors in the process. When you first quit drinking, the lack of dopamine and diminished receptors can lead to feelings of sadness. And hopelessness. So that just pre warning that is how you're going to feel. Yeah,
0: pre warning that you're going to feel like drinking.
1: Yeah. Like you're going to feel sad and hopeless. (laughs) And what do you do when you're sad and hopeless? Pick up a drink. Yeah, bring that joy back. Yeah, Yeah. it's not the answer. But, but, Hopefully that helps people to understand that this is stuff that's happening in your brain. It is really something that's going on in there. Yeah. And you'd have to be superhuman to avoid those feelings. Yes. So it's about saying, I'm going to have these feelings. I've just got to get through them. I've got to work through them. Um, and now also some of the physical symptoms um, of giving up. I'll read out a list of the sort of more normal ones. And then we've got a list of more severe physical symptoms, which you could very dramatically read out, Vic. Okay, my best dramatic voice. Yes. So normal physical symptoms, uh, a lot of which I think Vic and I felt when we gave up. Tremors, anxiety, which is what you usually are drinking to avoid. Mm. Uh, Nausea, vomiting. That's one for you, Vic. Yeah, my (laughs) (laughs) favourite. Headache, increased heart rate, sweating, irritability, confusion, insomnia, nightmares. High blood pressure.
0: Oh, the insomnia. Do you remember like that oh. feeling? For me, it was the next night. I could never get to sleep when I was hungover. My anxiety would get worse and worse mm. and worse throughout the day to the point where, where it was nighttime. the next day. I would still be feeling like heart palpitations. Yeah, so you can't. You're so tired, but you and can't you're sleep. so tired. You can't sleep, and oh, the, everything's going around in your brain yeah. what you've done. And,
1: and of course, oh. what you want to do is pick up a drink because you know that will cure it all. But you've got <sighs> to see it through. Remember, these things that we're reading out; these are normal symptoms of giving up alcohol. So yeah. you've got to, you've got I mean, to go through those, them. it you? says physical symptoms for me that is a hangover. Yes. It doesn't
0: have to be like oh I'm a severe alcoholic so therefore I've got these symptoms. All of those symptoms are involved for everybody when you have a hangover. Yeah. So, yeah, I've I've experienced all of those every time I've been hungover. Mm-hmm. Um, More severe physical symptoms considered medical emergency. So if you have any of these, you know, you need to call an ambulance. Do a Vic and call an ambulance. Yes, and if I'm not using (laughs) services already. Um, Extreme confusion. I get that. I get that most (laughs) days. Extreme agitation, a fever, seizures, tactile hallucinations, such as having a sense of itching, burning or numbness that isn't actually occurring auditory hallucinations or hearing sounds that don't exist, um, visual hallucinations or seeing images that don't exist, excessive sweating, increased heart rate, high blood pressure and fast respirations. So they're the more severe. So if you are a real daily drinker, extreme, you know, we say extreme, but I mean... You know, I don't know where the line is drawn, to be honest, and and you'd have to work that out for yourself. Like if you're feeling that you are more extreme and you're having some of those symptoms, you definitely need to contact your GP or
1: or even call an ambulance site, you know. It's pretty bad. Yeah, and just accept that what you're doing is quite big because you're taking a substance out of your body that your body's been used to for a number of years. Yes. So you are going to have these effects and you might need help to get over them. But now what we're going to talk about is more of our own personal experiences with these symptoms and how we actually felt when we first gave up drinking.
0: I felt really kind of embarrassed, honestly, Lucy, when I gave up drinking. And, And as I've told you before, I never told anyone for 18 months because... I just thought that my whole personality had been flushed down the toilet along Mm. with that last bottle (laughs) of wine. I
1: know exactly what you mean. I was like, oh my God, I'm
0: totally numb. Mm. I I have no humour left in me. I have nothing. I'm just like a a statue. I just felt like there was nothing going on. The lights were on and no one was home, so I disguised my sobriety like I had my drinking. So that is that is a thing, you know. We all disguise our drinking in social situations. I disguised my sobriety in social situations by still holding on to a bottle of Heineken or whatever it was, because I just couldn't face telling anybody and because it was my you,
1: identity. Did you find that when you were touching a bottle of he- a can of Heineken, your sense of humour came back? No, <laughs> I still didn't have one. Then didn't make any difference. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I didn't feel, tell anyone I I had given up. I didn't feel like it was anyone's business as well. It felt so personal to me. It felt like I'm doing this for my two children and my husband. Of course, I've had a third children, child in sobriety, little Freddie. So that is very exciting. So things, you know it felt really lost and confusing at that time, but it developed into being something wonderful as well. So that's what we're saying in this whole podcast is like, you're going to feel all these horrible things and it might feel awful, but it will end up being something amazing, which it did for both of us. Um, And I actually felt like I was stronger alone. I felt like I didn't need to explain myself to anybody anymore. This was my thing. I was doing it on my own. I didn't care if anyone didn't understand. I really felt that from the start, which I think, truly helped me because people's opinions suddenly became irrelevant to me whereas before everything was about pleasing everybody and then as soon as I became sober I was like right actually no this is about me now and I have to do this for myself and I was very staunch with that I was staunch with people's opinions not mattering anymore and they that is a huge weight off my shoulders um but I did stay at home a lot reading, quickly. I mean, that helps staying home a lot when you're you know, originally mm. sober to avoid places that you originally went. Um, but also I thought like the more difficult thing was that I did feel like the only binge drinker that had ever given up drinking. So, of course, I felt those feelings of, of not being accepted anymore and people thinking that I was an extreme alcoholic. So I did still worry a little bit about that um, because I didn't know that socially acceptable alcoholics like myself actually got help. So I felt like the only person in the world with a mid-range grey area Mm -hmm. drink problem. I didn't know that was a thing at the time. And luckily now... We live in a world, in 2021, in the last year, things have changed massively. Mm. There's grey area drinking coaches. There's all sorts of stuff going on with this sober, curious movement. So I didn't really have that at the beginning of my sobriety and I wish I had. Um, And the great things were that I didn't have anxiety anymore. Death was no longer
1: an option. I mean, that sounds really extreme, but it was true. But that's interesting because we've just been reading out the symptoms yeah, and yet now we're talking about our own personal symptoms and anxiety is one of the symptoms that you can have From giving up alcohol, yet you're saying your anxiety went when you gave up. Absolutely. Was it was it it stronger at the beginning? Did you feel the anxiety at the beginning of giving up, and then slowly it just went? It
0: was alcohol causing me to have anxiety. Yeah, it was causing that chemical imbalance. It was affecting. Didn't make it. No, heighten it. It was a total sense of freedom from anxiety. It was like Hmm. the equilibrium inside my brain suddenly leveled out. And once the alcohol had all soaked off my skin and my brain just
1: felt much much stronger and And that that was from the start from me from the start of those 100 days and it just goes to show how we are all so different because a a, a normal symptom of giving up alcohol is anxiety and yet for you it just got rid of your anxiety altogether
0: because I was lying in bed every Sunday morning feeling as if I was going to die like going to say right you need to call an ambulance because I'm mentally feeling like I'm going to die I'm going to stop breathing another ambulance another ambulance I'm going to (laughs) swallow I actually thought I was going to swallow my tongue because I couldn't breathe. I didn't know what was going to happen to me. I thought I was having a brain tumour. It was completely out of control. But as soon as the alcohol was gone from my body, that disappeared. And I was able to look forward to things again. I was able to change and grow. I didn't suffer anymore because my suffering was done. That's how it felt. That's what we're talking about. You know, I was able to breathe again and start to live my life. It sounds cheesy, but it's true. Um, And I was secretly in that 18 months on my own, you know, sometimes doing it on your own can be good. Mm. I was kind of ticking away at these milestones going, yes, I've done this. Um, and that's where Lucy and I do differ a bit. There is a book by Jason Vale called uh, Kick the Drink Easily. I haven't read it, but somebody did recommend it to me. Um, and it uses the analogy in there of what happened to... It says, "What at what point did Nelson Mandela realise he was free and it was the moment he stepped out of prison? And that's how I felt. I felt like I had stepped out of a prison and I was released and it was a sense of freedom giving up drinking for me and that's not the same for everybody and I'm not saying that'll happen to you but that was how I felt it got so messy and so full of guilt and shame and anxiety that it was like stepping out of a prison into the sunlight
1: and just going oh my god I don't need to do this anymore mm. yeah, it was very great. liberating yeah um, yeah I mean for me I actually had some of the physical symptoms that we were talking about um, in that and I really liked the bit that we read out about the dopamine Mean in the brain because after about two months of being sober, I had recognised this constant feeling that I had of just feeling like I was a horny.
0: Ste-
1: <laughs> no, I didn't feel horny. I haven't felt horny since I gave no, up. No, me neither. <laughs> um, no, I just felt like I was a step removed from the rest of the world. I felt as if I was in this foggy bubble. Mm. And somehow that helped me because I felt like I wasn't part of the world, which I used to be part of. I was away from it. I was somewhere else. But I was struggling to string sentences together and I was struggling to get my work done because I had massive brain fog. And eventually I Googled it and I found out that it was quite a normal symptom, a normal physical symptom of giving up. But it did go on for about five or so months. So that was one of the main physical symptoms that I experienced was this brain fog, which somehow managed to use that to my advantage. Mm. It did get a bit annoying nearer to the end um, and I wanted it to go. Um, and my dad used to always say to me, how's your brain fog? <laughs> <laughs> I spoke to him on Skype and say, like, it's still there, dad. Um, yeah. It's still there, Maureen. It's still bloody there. <laughs> but it it helped me. At the beginning, but it got a little bit more annoying towards the end. But it it did probably went at about six or seven months. My brain fog. Um, The other thing that I got, which was a physical symptom, was uh, we read out nightmares. Well, I had my drinking dreams, which I've mentioned before, which were pretty horrific, and they happened every single night for about four months. I don't have them anymore, Vic. Yeah, great. I thought I was going to have them forever. Yeah, because you have felt quite traumatized by those. each I was, morning, yeah. didn't you? They were, and people would say, I put it on the group, and people would say, I was so relieved to wake up and find out that I hadn't actually drunk because it was so real. But yeah. for me, I would wake up and feel hungover. And I'd gone through such trauma by the fact that I, usually my dreams were not so much me drinking, but me being hungover. Yes. And that sense of what have I done, the yes. fear and the anxiety the dread, and yeah. the palpitations. And so when you wake up from a night where you've been going through that in your head you just don't feel good there is no relief no you just it's you've started the day almost and I would actually wake up with a physical headache as well so Mm. they were my physical symptoms gosh that is full on yeah and um but I was lucky I didn't get many of the others in terms of mental symptoms for me personally um you know I I felt I felt very peaceful Everything felt peaceful and quiet, whereas my world with drinking was hectic. Mm. When am I going to drink? I couldn't stop thinking about drinking. was like a whirlwind. It was, yes, it was. And um, eventually I was just so fed up with the chaos that drinking brought. And when that came out of my life, I felt a sense of peace. I um, like you say. I that was quite extreme because I felt like I'd lost my sense of humor. And someone actually said to me, "Have you lost your sense of humor in my first three months?" You bite their head off. Well, I just thought I hadn't actually told them that I'd given up. I thought well, that I do feel like that. I agree with you. I think I have lost it. But well, that's all right because it means that you don't long no longer feel the need to make everybody laugh all the time to entertain to entertain, yeah. which is great. Yeah. Um, but but that was so that so that peace. It was peace, which was a good feeling and quietness that was good feeling and that sense of being overcrowded and hectic had gone but that went a step further and it actually made me feel quite bored Mm -hmm. boredom was something that happened a lot um, in the first 100 days and I found it very difficult to deal with it, I just felt like who am I, what is it I actually like doing because my whole life had revolved around drinking, that I had no hobbies, yeah. all my friends were drinking friends and I was bored senseless. Yes, that who am I question is going to come yeah. a lot, up a lot for people that are
0: doing that first 100 days because you don't know who you are When you're drinking, you don't get to discover who is beneath that big layer of beer and bravado. It's true. You have to look underneath. And that takes more than 100 days, I will honestly say. It does. It takes more like a year to really start to understand your own behaviours and who you are
1: intrinsically as a human being. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think of it this way, like in those first 100 days, it's like you're this big canvas and everything's being stripped off it with your sobriety. Everything's coming off it until it's completely blank. So in that first 100 days, you're sitting with this blank canvas, which is you. Yeah, with a paintbrush going. And it's mm, boring mm. and you don't know what to put on that canvas because everything's come off it. Your whole old life and all your drinking habits have come off it. But then it takes several years to build on that canvas and start creating a new picture, which is your new life. Mm -hmm. But whilst that canvas is blank, you can feel lost and lonely and sad and bored. Good analogy, Um, Lucy. Yeah, thanks for that. Well done. but But don't worry if that is how you you feel because you've got the rest of your life to build on it and to create this amazing canvas of exactly what you want I felt scared who am I I also felt like an ill patient I felt like I was a patient in hospital Mm. Um, the brain fog um, and just generally just just feeling so kind of odd and, and, and like weak weak yeah and yeah. just I felt I knew that I, guess I had your, a disease yeah. and I was healing from it
0: okay yeah so it was going to take your body a few weeks in that first hundred days to sort of try and repair itself from the
1: damage that you've done yeah. even if you don't drink that much there's still damage yeah. being done. So you have to sleep when you feel like sleeping Yeah. Um, and just do what you need to do to get through mm. um, and you know that loneliness that we talked about I just wanted to mention again because it felt like I'd lost my best friend I yeah. really felt like I'd lost a friend when I gave up drinking and that does bring in these feelings of loneliness and all the feelings that I'm talking about are feelings that make you want to like, pick up a drink. I'm at that door Lucy. That <laughs> Hello it's your oh, new best friend. I know and like and I haven't actually said to you Vic and I wanted to say thank you for calling me on Christmas Day because Vic called okay. me when I was. She seems to know. She called me when I was really s- sort of struggling in the afternoon, and she sort of said, "I know you're not going to come over, but I want you to know you're welcome to come over. And how are you doing?" Which gave me an opportunity to say, "I'm struggling." Yeah. So that was really wonderful. And oh, You know, I said, "Put the fucking kettle on, go and have a cup of tea." <laughs> no, you didn't, Vic. You said, "Oh, shut the fuck yeah. up! It's <laughs> yeah. Christmas Day. You stop whinging, old <laughs> Get a bloody life. And then I phoned her on Boxing Day and went, I'm fine now. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, I'm in hospital.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yay. Um, Um. I just wanted to add there that I do liken the loss, um, you know, as Lucy said, the loss of a best friend, your drinking buddy, is the alcohol. Um, Some people have to go through something called the five stages of grief which is, you know, read up on these people because they are emotions that you will feel. It does feel like the loss of a friend, like someone has died. The grieving process is denial, anger, bargaining, depression and acceptance. Mm. So you will have to go on a bit of a roller coaster with those feelings. But, you know, don't drink through them. That's the thing. sobriety is all about feeling the feels and letting them pass through your body they might not always be good but it's about having you know joy afterwards and going right I have went through that I went through denial anger bargaining depression and acceptance and I'm now at acceptance and here we are and I'm feeling Mm. great and that might happen at 100 days yeah
1: feel the awkward and do it anyway exactly (laughs) so there's no denying it these are pretty desperate days and to get through them took desperate measures let's talk about some of the real life savers that got Vic and I through yeah mine is remembering hangovers, remembering Mm. that anxiety, like
0: why would I ever drink again when I really focus on that and seeing people hungover and seeing people Mm. drunk, like, you know, that is a good reminder. Um, Lucy and I were just talking about this earlier before the podcast started. We we always, you know, those triggers they're about the first drink. So if you focus on that first drink and then think, well, that started well and ended badly. Of course it's going to end badly. I mean it's coming up to the new year so I have to very briefly tell my my how my night started and how they ended, Lucy, mm. because my stumpy finger is 22 years old. Uh, in a couple of nights. Yes, because it was a New Year's Eve event. It was wasn't the Millennium it? Night in Thailand. Yeah. Therefore, I have the Millennium Stump. So, my night, I remember that night starting well and me going out and being happy and wanting to not drink too much and enjoy the night. But I ended up rolling around in the sand like a chicken schnitzel mm. and being absolutely wasted. And at four o'clock in the morning, lighting a firework and blowing my own finger off so that's that's really the reality of drinking for me right yeah. there that story it starts well I have one drink it ends it starts with me having ten fingers and ends with me having nine <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean you don't want to do it too often you won't have any fingers no left. <laughs> exactly Yeah. like Jeremy Beadle um, so yeah that's a perfect example of like thinking the night through playing the tape forward yeah. because that's how it ends for me if I think about that it never ends well a good thing to do, which I did, which is journaling and blogging or starting a diary. Um, I actually bought one of Danny Carr's How I Quit Alcohol 365 diaries this week. And she's got loads of tips and pages where you can just fill in how you're feeling each day. I think that is a brilliant tool for anyone starting that journey. And she's lovely. So, yeah, go and buy that. Um have lots of tea in the house do lots of exercise early nights early mornings I'm going to add a blog post to this which I did on choosing days over nights Lucy that Mm. is something I consciously did it's like my exercise class in the morning I do my socialising there and then I go to bed at 8.30 so choose your days overnight it doesn't have to be about the party anymore it can be about enjoying the the, the daylight hours and doing all the stuff you want to do in that time Instagram I always say what a great help that was getting through Murder mysteries, recovery TV. Um, I recently watched Louis Theroux's Drinking to Oblivion. I mean, programs like that. How how far it can go with drinking. I mean, I talk about being a socially acceptable binge drinker, but on that show, it shows where socially acceptable binge drinkers end up, and yeah. that's in
1: hospital with liver failure. And you thought you were socially acceptable, but were you? The no. things that you were doing, blowing off your finger. Yeah, it was outrageous. And, uh, on all fours in the middle of the dance floor with people dancing on your back. Is that a socially acceptable? Thing to do. I thought it was. You thought it was, but looking back, it wasn't. Probably wasn't.
0: Um, Yeah. And so, another thing that really helped, and I know it's helped Lucy and I because she's been um, volunteering for Lifeline and is what we're doing on this podcast is helping others. Sometimes taking the focus off yourself when you become sober can be a great help. So, just focus on something else, whether that's talking to a friend or doing volunteering or something like that. It will help you just taking your mind off the sobriety for a moment Mm. otherwise it can be all-encompassing can't it Mm. it's like oh my god it becomes very very intense um yeah so meet people like lucy and i did with comparable stories tell your own story i love telling my story on podcasts like on other people's ones it gets a bit boring retelling the same stories over and over again but i'm happy to do that if i feel like it's going to help someone and that reconfirms for me that my behavior was
1: Out of control. Yes, telling that horrendous story once again. Yeah, and actually just screaming into pillows until it passes. (laughs)
0: That
1: can help. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yeah, I've got some unusual lifesavers that got me through the first 100 days. Uh, Looking at the list in front of me, because I made some notes, I'm a bit worried that I might actually put people off trying to get sober because I, I... I did some really boring things, but they were the things oh, that like to Oh, it's like me, watching, me. The, watching the traffic in England. It's yeah. those sort of things, isn't it? <laughs> traffic
0: on the M25 to make oh, myself feel good. Yeah,
1: that's, probably... that's about That's about as
0: horny as I get nowadays, Lucy. Traffic on the M25. Oh, oh there's a Citroen coming up. <laughs> <laughs> oh. What year is it? <laughs>
1: 1984. Look... One of the really unusual things that I did, and I had no plan to ever do this in my life, I started knitting. I think it was because drinking is such a mon- monotonous thing, just picking up that drink and taking a sip over and over and over again, sort of all afternoon and evening. I wanted something that was equally as monotonous. Yeah, good so idea. I started knitting and it really, I mean, in fact, I think it was the lifesaver that got me through. I knitted and I knitted and I knitted. I made scarves for people. I didn't do anything complicated. I took pleasure in going to the shop and feeling the wool and buying the ones that I liked and I even made a little clothing label, a Sober Sally label that I stick onto the Scarfs and give them to friends and family. They, um, I think they all hide them away. And my my, my um, family in the UK um, dig them out and take photos and pretend they've been wearing them all day. <laughs> They'll have <laughs> them hanging over yeah. the coat rail when Get you visit the, England next someone, time. Can you find the scarf? I'm just going to yeah, put quick, it on. Put it out. But no, knitting amazingly. I'm not a crafty person, but that really helped me. The monotony of it was yeah. something that was brilliant. And keeping your hands busy, that's a yeah, really good thing. Yeah, keeping your hands busy. Um, I started playing Scrabble on my phone. And um, so I would sort of alternate between scrabble and knitting. On, dearie, As idea. I say, I became quite boring. Soda stream drink, you know, I needed something to drink um, that wasn't alcoholic and I just couldn't find what that was. I'd love my tea, but I needed a cold drink. I don't like sugary drinks. So I went and bought a soda stream, which I recently donated to Lifeline, but I used it. I don't know how many canisters I went through in my year of sobriety. Mm. It saved me. It was one of those things I just used and used and used until I didn't need it anymore. I ate heaps of... Mars bar ice creams Yum I treated myself To a massage Every two weeks I was like Every time I got through Another two weeks I'd go for a massage That cost me 80 bucks For an hour Massage And I had no guilt I was like I've just done Another two weeks Yeah. Every time I went for that massage, I felt better each time because I'd been sober longer. And
0: it's good to, that reminds me there, it's good to put away the money that you think you might be spending on alcohol, put it in a little piggy bank and then go and do stuff like that. Yeah, nice things. Go and do nice things that you wouldn't normally
1: do. Yeah, and massage is nice because you do feel quite lonely and you're not picking up random men down the pub anymore. (laughs) Um, So it's nice to actually have the feel of human touch.
0: Yes, yeah. Um,
1: So that does help. Did you get a happy ending? (laughs) (laughs) I, know, for women. I do. I do go to that sort of massage <laughs> parlour, Vic. Oh, I do. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I did find that it was really helpful. Um, I I know now, looking back with the clarity of being sober, that a lot of the reasons that I drank was for escapism. Yeah. It took me out of my world. And so I used other forms and, of escapism, and that was sleep, reading and Netflix. Um, I uh, While I was drinking, I used to take a lot of Valium because that helped me sleep when I had palpitations and I couldn't sleep because of anxiety. Gosh,
0: amazing how one drug leads to the other like Exactly
1: that. right. And I still had a lot of those left, and I have to admit, admit that I I struggled with those for a little bit in my sobriety because I couldn't sleep but eventually I've managed to knock those on the head as well because um, I just loved the escapism from sleep which is why yeah. I was taking them which was the wrong thing to do. Don't... Yeah
0: try not to do that people I yeah, mean that's, uh, it's, I... Not, it's not sobriety if you're still taking Valium exactly right. or Xanax yeah. or any of those things or any of those other drugs. For me for me, even weed I mean I don't condone taking any other drugs when you are trying to get sober I think you've got to, you've got to be clear you're not going to get any of the benefits of sobriety if you're still partaking in other recreational yeah. drugs. Yeah that's right so
1: um, um, or, yeah, so all pharmaceutical ones. Yeah. yeah. It's true. You just don't. And now, I mean, I never take anything at all. I simply don't need to. Um, but it was about. Yeah, that's you know, about the most exciting yeah. thing. <laughs> I knocked that, them back with a one. That me, Mount Franklin, mango. Yeah. I've got the mango one today. Um, yeah, just um, just being patient. Uh, it was learning about patience, that yeah. sitting with it, Vic, that you were talking about in the stages of grief and just saying, okay, this is just one of the stages. This is yes. one of the feels. I've got to sit here. And I do remember sitting in my living room because I didn't. Didn't want to watch anything on TV I didn't want to listen to any music because I wasn't even sure who I was and what I liked anymore and yeah. I was just in a silent room with the clock ticking thinking <laughs> I've just got to get through the next five minutes and I was yeah. actually doing that on Christmas Day as well but yeah, um, yeah and also planning um, plan your days if you're struggling yeah, so, so you say, don't have to do that yeah so, yeah so you don't have to do that but also so that you you know you, you've got a little guideline of how you're going to make it through each day and you have got things lined up to help you one of My lifesavers was having met Vic's social uh, social sober group, social sober group. Yeah, Um, we used to. I used to go every weekend to meet up with them, and probably every week I would meet up with Vic. So that was plans that I made um, to get me through those difficult days at the beginning. And without making plans, you can get a bit lost and you can go off track.
0: Yeah. Getting through the first hundred days and then count and then continuing not to drink is nothing short of a miracle, as we said, in our eyes. Uh, since both of us have been trying unsuccessfully to give up drinking for twenty plus years. So what made it different this time? Why did it work? I mean there's only so many times we've kind of gone through this, haven't we? There's only mm-hmm. so many times you can fuck up without addressing it. It is time. Um yeah, and sometimes your drinking just gets to the end of the road. Turning forty for me also, Lucy, was a yeah. was a change because I felt like, gosh, I've you know, I've done drinking and now I'm turning forty and, and this is my chance for a new new life. One thing I learned in therapy, you know, to get myself through this hundred days was that I it's a bit like your analogy with the painting. Mm. Um I thought of myself as a dilapidated old house um that needed a revamp. So you take out... So if you just imagine yourself as being like this run-down shanty shack and then think about your yourself being that and how you can develop that into something good. So I took out all the bits that I didn't like. I wanted to redecorate the house. I wanted to get... What's that guy, Lawrence Llewellyn Bolin? Was that his name? I don't know. With the bouffant hair, he always was like oh, a purple yes, smoking yeah. jacket. <laughs> I want him to come round with some like scatter cushions and lay the new foundations for my life. So you basically knock down the old you and you rebuild from scratch, which is what I learned to do in therapy. And I wanted to build a more solid structure for my life. And that's exactly what I did. I tore it all down and I put a nice chandelier up and some nice cushions and I made myself more comfy in my life. Um, so, you can do that. Imagine like these analogies because these sort of visualizations really, really do help. They do, yeah. Um, the other one, actually, while we're talking about Lucy, I've just remembered another one. Also, when I was in therapy, um, the lady told me to visualize a roundabout. I think I've told you this before, but there's like a roundabout, like a kids' swirly thing, you know, I don't know what they call them here, probably some <laughs> weird word, um, where you like, climb you know, on it, a spinning ground yeah. that you have at playgrounds. So, imagine all your friends, all your family, all there. On the roundabout, it's spinning really, really fast, and they're all drinking. It's all lot noisy, and you're on it as well, and it's all this kind of crazy ride. And then she said, my therapist said to me, Diane, hello, Diane, said, step off the roundabout and observe. Mm. How does it feel? And I I remember sitting with my eyes closed and visualising how it felt. And suddenly I was at peace. Mm. And that was a real epiphany for me. It was like, actually, I can step off that roundabout. I can step out of the chaos mm. and I can watch on. And that's okay. So sometimes these real visualisations of imagining your life in a different way can actually make you capable of living
1: that life. Yeah, yeah. yeah I really like that one. Yeah, I mean, um, I was very similar to you, Vic. Uh, you know, the reasons... What made it different this time was the fact that it just was my time. Looking back, yeah. I had reached rock bottom. There was nowhere else to go. I really yeah. was killing myself. You are at a, a junction there. I was at a junction. I yeah. was at a dead end, yes. really. yeah. Um, and it was just my time. Looking back, I didn't even realise it while it was happening, but it was. There was nowhere left for me to go. Uh, Also, of course, what made it different for me this time was having met you, Vic, a like-minded soul and somebody who was just genuinely seemed to care about the fact that I was giving up and was able to completely understand everything that I was saying. I didn't feel any embarrassment. Um, Vic and I are both unshockable, our stories, and we haven't (laughs) shared the worst of them on here because we just probably couldn't, but we we can tell each other anything, um, certainly to do with our drinking days, and the other will just sort of nod in kind of agreement and have their own story to match it. So it was really good to have somebody who was non-judgmental. Someone as mental as you are. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'd seen so many professionals. I've lost count of how many professionals I saw, but they hadn't. Walked in my shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but you had Vic. Yeah. So that was really helpful. And of course, I, for the first time ever with giving up, uh, and I tried so many times before, I had um, somebody to be accountable to, and that was yes. Vic. And also, I told my dad, who's in the UK, who I'm very close to, that I have a drinking problem and I'm giving up. I had never told him that before. He was distraught. That's huge, though, yeah. that, that you did that. You yeah. didn't
0: have to do that. It's something you don't have to tell. Like, you don't owe anybody anything, but sometimes it's it's nice to create accountability. Yes, and yeah. that's
1: what I did this time. And I, even Christmas Day, just gone, the two people who were foremost in my mind, because I opened the back of my daughter's car, which I drove on Christmas Day briefly, because I gave her a lift somewhere, and I opened the boot of the car to get something out, and there were some cans of beer rolling around in the back of her car. Ugh. And I was watching them. They must have been hot, and it was 30 degrees for Christmas Day here. And I thought, I could just pick one of those up and drink it hot. Mm. But the two people who kind of popped up on my shoulders with my dad and Vic, <laughs> mm. and that was enough of me just to go there's just no way i'm doing this um so that that was that was what made it different for me and also to have the sober group as well as i mentioned to be able to go and see that there were other people the same as me and i felt so i felt less alone
0: yeah and even facebook groups as well you know anything that's going to help you through those 100 days just get on it get in there use it to your you know Post on there every day.
1: Ask questions yeah. every day if you need to Show on Instagram. Your wins.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. So, was there anything particularly surprising about the first 100 days, um, in both good and bad ways? Um, things that perhaps we didn't expect.
0: My confidence grew. I mean, I'm quite confident anyway, but I just felt more relaxed within myself. Um, The pressure was off. There was no dilly-dallying with questions in my head. Shall I have one? That preoccupation with alcohol that was all-consuming
1: was gone. And my brain had space for everything. Was that a surprise to you, Vic? Because I suppose you don't realise how filled up your brain is with those drinking thoughts, do you, until they're gone? It's like getting off the roundabout. It's like walking into
0: the sunshine out of prison, as we talked about, Mm. like that Nelson Mandela analogy. It's like, oh, my God, I don't need to think about alcohol anymore. It is completely... A pointless subject for me, and I can just think about it as something as irrelevant like a, a byproduct of vegetables, which mm. is basically what it yeah. is. So if you can minimize its importance in your life, it's a really, really good way of just going, actually, no, I don't need to think about that stuff anymore because I'm free from it and, yeah. and I can just carry on with my life. The bad thing was I didn't lose any weight.
1: <laughs> no, neither did <laughs> so I. So don't everybody don't
0: disappoint <laughs> be too disappointed in that. But also, because of the confidence growth, I learned to love my body. My body has created three children. I have mm. grown. Own three humans in my housed, stomach, housed, homed three children in this dilapidated old house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I am what I am now, and there's more of that attitude in sobriety. I am what I am. I have sexy love handles. My husband loves me. That's all that's
1: important. Yeah. And you, so, your
0: kids love cuddling you. Yeah, there's there's none of that too much. Yeah. like pre, you know thought about myself and how I look all the time and things like that. I mean, I do have that still. Everybody has that to a certain degree but it's not all-consuming or anything. Um, One thing I have realised is I don't like drunk people very much. I Mm. hate to admit that but I just find it annoying and it's triggering and I don't like being around it and you'll probably... Most people will feel the same in that first 100 days.
1: I would avoid any situations that involve a lot of drunk people. Yeah, although it does help you in some ways to think, I'm so glad I'm not drinking and I'm not like that, but they are annoying. Or just phone them when they're hungover and see how they're feeling. So you
0: do have to go through a few... Awkward socials. That's what this podcast is why we created it. Because you have to learn to feel that awkward. Yeah. And that is something that is hard and that is something that will develop. Lucy still feels it. I still feel it. We still get that feeling of there being a bright light on us when we're out and our personalities have been fallen out of our assholes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it does feel it does like feel that. It like that
0: sometimes. But just leave when you need to. I mean, that's the best thing. Yeah. So... Imagining my entire life, I have to admit, without alcohol, like imagining a sunset in Bali and me not having a beer has taken some time to get used to. But I just take those, you know, classic AA saying one step at a time, one day at a time. You know, I'll have to be on that beach in Bali and then I can just order a cup of tea. Yeah. But to think, I don't want to think too far in the future. You stop you know, worrying about things until they actually happen. Exactly, yeah. it's pointless And then, and then to think, work
1: through it at the time. Yeah,
0: you've got to live in the now mm-hmm. a little bit with sobriety and just live minute to minute with that ticking clock like Lucy said. Because it is all about changing habits and changing those associations. Like, don't go to those places where there's people going to be drunk if you don't. If you don't feel like it, you don't have to do anything if you don't want to. That's right. Yeah. It's, it sounds simple, but just go that's with really the flow. how we live, isn't go it? Just go with the flow. Just go of, with the flow yeah. and just do what makes you happy. And eventually you will tune into your sobriety and that white noise that's kind of playing in the background will fade. You'll be able to hear and see more clearly. And the most important thing for me was that I'm able to trust myself again. I'm able to trust myself around alcohol. I'm able to trust myself around my kids and my family and even in pubs. I trust myself now, which is a huge thing to a huge place to be for me. I didn't trust yeah. myself. And which now is I do. really
1: important. It's really it? you important need to be
0: able to trust the way
1: you're going to yeah. behave when you're out and about. Yeah, I couldn't go out because I knew I didn't me trust too. myself. Which me is too. awful, isn't it? Really. Yeah. So really, um, the surprising things for me in the first 100 days was that it's going to be different for everyone. I was expecting. You know, people have told me what it's like to give up alcohol, and I had done it myself a few times before failed attempts, um, but. I learned and I was surprised by the fact that it was very different to what I expected it was going to be. For an example, um, I assumed that it would be really difficult at the beginning and then later on um, it would become easier. But for me, the first 160 odd days were really quite easy, I think, because I was so motivated by this decision that I'd made. And then days around 60 to 100, which actually coincided with Christmas and New Year, were incredibly hard. And day 100 was so difficult for me. There was no way I was going to go back at that point. But I was like, hold on, I'm on day 100. I thought this. You kind of think that on day 100, because it's day 100.
0: Uh, <laughs> Alan's just held up. I just must interrupt you. Alan's just uh, held up our one hour uh, phone message, which just had a big penis with hairy
1: balls <laughs> underneath oh, the nice. one hour I wonder what he's trying to say to us. Just one hour. <laughs> there, here's a penis and hairy balls. There's a cryptic message in there. <laughs> I you're, hope not. you're a pair of dicks. Shut <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess um, I wasn't expecting that, and because I wasn't expecting, don't have expectations, is what I'm saying. Yes. I thought day 100. I thought on day 100 there was going to be these sort of fireworks and a marching band, and I was going to feel amazing. But in fact, it was just another day of struggling through sobriety. Yeah. Um, and I think because. I had expectations that wasn't going to be the way it was. I found that particularly hard. Um, Something else that surprised me around that first part of becoming sober was people's reactions to it. Mm. I was very worried about telling people, which I did, unlike you, Vic, because you kept it a secret for a long time. I did tell people. And even my my sort of biggest drinking friends were so supportive of me. And, um, you know, they all wanted to meet up with me and to help me in any way that they could. Um, I was surprised that boredom... Has got another level to it. I thought that boredom was just that, and you had to get out of it. But I found out that boredom can get so strong, you can feel it so strongly that it actually takes you through to another sort of sphere where you become creative. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you is. Have to come up with yeah, different ways yeah. Exactly. You existing. Don't, you don't. Yeah, you don't just go back to your old habits. If you just see it through, if you just keep sitting with that boredom, something good comes out of it. And I became creative. I am not a creative person. I started knitting and doing these clothing labels and these weird Mm, things mm. Um, so that was what I found was surprising for me that boredom if you sit with it can become something quite cool Um, and the other I think the last really surprising thing was discovering that life actually does continue after alcohol because I honestly thought it didn't and it was like I'm still going and I haven't drunk and I am alive Mm. and um, life goes the beat goes on as I say that was a surprise yeah Um, Our personal top tips to get you through the
0: 100 days very quickly was don't count the days if it doesn't feel right. That's really important. I mean, we're talking a lot about 100 days here. But if counting them and keeping track of everything doesn't feel right for you, then don't do it. Just say, right, I'm sober now. End of story.
1: This is my life now. Put put an app on your phone which actually counts the days for you so you don't have to physically count them every day yourself. And every now and then you can just look at the app. Yeah, because it's nice to give yourself a little pat on the back um do new stuff is another good one a lady on our um,
0: facebook group um went last week instead of going out and getting pissed and went her whole town dressed up in uh, inflatable outfits for the day and (laughs) what marches around the town she sent a photograph of it on the group is this what country i think it's in
1: america great she
0: she was the sober blow-up cow so shout out to her because that's like we say do different stuff but that was like out there loved that um If you fail to make it to 100, don't beat yourself up, just remain committed to the goal and just focus on the good stuff, the money saved, the energy, the new places, your skin, your mental state, look forward to life again um, they're they're all really important things. Um, I did it and I had therapy and that worked for me. It doesn't work for everybody. You just got to find the right person. So there's all these different ways of doing it, which we, you know, we cover in all our other podcasts and just remember that, you know, abnormal drinking has been normalized. So it might take some time to rewire your brain. As Lucy said, give yourself patience, you know, give yourself time. Don't rush. Rushing and wanting more from it will make you want to drink. I mean, uh, I I just want to mention very quickly at the hospital yesterday, Lucy, we're talking about normalised drinking. As I was carrying Freddie out on my own, leaving, the nurse that I'd been spending the afternoon with, as I left, just patted me on the shoulder and just said, don't worry, love, there's a bottle of wine waiting for you at the fridge at home. And I think I just... And this is a nurse. This is a nurse at my local hospital. That was what she said. And I know that she meant it in a nice way. And I think I just went, how the fuck is that going to help me? (laughs)
1: That were my last words, sir. Uh, after she'd been, but re- it would have been it would have been the co- the coping tactic uh, many years ago if that well, had happened. It is happened. a coping tactic.
0: I mean, I mean, for most people. Yeah. I mean, for but most it doesn't people help carrying a child you... out of a the hospital, they're probably going to go home and have a glass of wine. Yeah. It's just that I just I was so annoyed by the end of the day that you know I just had a stressful yeah. time. It was just the last thing I needed was to someone say go on exactly, go on love yeah. go and have a glass of wine. You deserve it. I just felt like going. Oh
1: fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Psych. So you you won't be welcome at that hospital. No, banned <laughs> <laughs> like being thrown out right of a pub bar, still getting thrown out of places yeah. um, look for me I think my, one of my main tips is um, if you sit with sobriety you feel quite lost but eventually what will happen is you kind of see this chink of light mm-hmm. and it's an insight into what your life is going to be like when you're truly sober um, so just wait until you see that light and once you see it you've got something to aim for yep. because you've had a taster of it so if you're sitting there feeling lost and thinking why am I actually doing this maybe I should have a drink please hang on in there because when that light displays itself and you can you can head towards it you're going to get more and more light in your life and it's going to get better and better Um, another tip from me is to do just one thing I know Vic you were talking about getting up and doing exercise and I really agree with that but at the same time so many of us big heavy drinkers are extremists so when we give up we want to be super healthy and we want to start exercising we want to lose weight as well as giving up drinking we want to meditate we want to do this we want to do that don't worry about anything else just concentrate on the fact that you are not drinking you can do all those other things you've got the rest of your life to do them I started meditating once I'd been sober for five months I didn't do anything else apart from concentrate on not putting a drink to my lips and I suggest that's what other people do as well one thing only don't drink another thing look in the mirror mm. because you just start looking better and better mm. um, <laughs> you do you I do I don't know I do I don't know you do your skin looks better your <sighs> hair looks better I need an
0: app that makes you like go from how you'd look if you'd carried on drinking yes. to how you look now that's what I need because then I'd yeah, feel that, yeah that would be good because yeah, you know, don't know, just, know what you would doing. like I just feel like, like I'm ageing
1: well we are ageing but I do still the look in the mirror of aging, I, certainly in that first 100 days which is what we're talking about the yes. alcohol is leaving your system yes do see a lot of physical changes. Yes. Not only does that make you feel more confident, but it makes you realise the extent of damage that drinking was doing to you. So it's something yes, to help you carry on going. Skin better. Skin and hair and brighter eyes. I have probably have one less chin than I had before. <laughs> Yeah, but I thought it didn't help you lose weight, did it? No, <laughs> no. That was the drinking chin that's yes, gone. The, the donut chin, chin is yeah. <laughs> um Yeah, I mean we've talked about just being treating yourself like with things like massages. Um, and another thing to do is recognize that you're a trailblazer here. You're yeah. part of something big and something fairly new and you might yeah. feel a bit lonely in your mission to get sober because it feels like no one else around you is doing it. But I tell you, I think it was Faye from Intoxicated. She said it's a bit like veganism everyone will be doing it soon mm. and you're going to be at the front you will have done it already so just remember that you're up front doing something that's really cool
0: yeah and your story is going to help other people like ours is you know? yeah. if you're oh, a trailblazer really that means you've got something to say and you've got something to tell that's going to yeah. be helpful Ending on a high, what you can expect to feel on the other side of 100 days and why should you use this moment in time to make the decision to stay sober long term? That's really important. We don't want you to stop at 100 days. No, don't do that. Um, we sat last night while Lucy and I were going through the podcast and we tried to work out how many hangovers I'd <laughs> And it was so many that we couldn't do the maths. I had to get the calculator No, you didn't.
1: You got your husband to do it. I got my husband to do it, like most things.
0: Um, Yeah, so we worked out. So let's say I had three hangovers a week for 25 years. So that's just over under half a week, isn't it? So seven days in a week, three days Mm -hmm. of those hungover for 25 years. We worked out that I have been hungover for a whole 10 years. Yeah. Ten years of my
1: life hungover, feeling like shit. Same as me, yeah. What a shame. Yeah, and yeah. Why, why add
0: to that? Don't add to that, people. Feel stronger, happier, more capable. Have boundaries and less friends. Like, that's the next one. You know, having these boundaries up now is so much more enjoyable than just people pleasing all the time. My life, you know, compared to having those... <laughs> Ten years of hangovers has changed remarkably, I must say, Lucy. You know, I never knew I could write. I never knew I could get, you know, pieces published in a magazine about addiction. Mm. I didn't know that I could help people. Like I didn't do much when I was drinking. I just kind of, kind of bumbled through yeah, life. Stumbled existed for through. the next drink. I just existed, and I did what I did, what I had to do to make money, and all those things. Like I worked on the markets, and I did all these, all these different types of jobs. But now I, you know. I cannot believe that this is me, this is who I've become, that I do this podcast and I do these groups and I do all this stuff. I cannot believe that I have become this person
1: just from giving up drinking. It's quite incredible. Yeah, I know. It's amazing. And you help so many people, Vic. And I'm so
0: proud of myself. I have to say that. I know it sounds a bit weird. Why
1: would you want to go back to that old
0: version of you? I would not go back to that old version of me. I was a bit of a waster.
1: Yeah, So was yeah. I. Um, so my reasons why you should use this moment in time to make the decision to stay sober um, is basically because going backwards is shit. Why would you do it? I mean, it's repetitive. I, um, Unlike you, Vic, I tried to give up many, many, many times and failed. Like, Why would I want to go back and go through that again? I'm just mm. going to carry on going forward. It's a bit like Groundhog Day. And I don't want to fill my head up with 24-7 drinking thoughts again. Why go back to that? I want to just... Just keep going and stay sober um, often also if you go back to drinking and I know it because I've done it I gave up for three months once I just went back to it harder than ever and I think that is quite common for people to do that you think you'll go back and you'll be a moderate you think you can moderate yeah, you bullshit. Could, it doesn't work no. um, so you like making up for lost time so you might end up in an even worse position and basically you've done the hard yard so why put yourself back in a place where you've got to start again yeah don't so go back there people yeah, carry yeah, on keep going keep do another going challenge
0: with it. do one of those 30 Day challenge. I know um, Thrivalist Sobriety do a hundred day challenge. Actually, so that'd be a great place to start. Mm. Look them up because they're lovely ladies that that run a sobriety group online. A, a really helpful tool. There's loads of things. There's those grey area drinking coaches. There's all sorts of things available to you. So
1: tr- if you can use those tools, um, we've got we've got a few tips and takeaways. Liz, we sure we? do. Okay, we believe that the first one hundred days were a special time in your sobriety adventure. How you cope in those first few months is a display of your resilience and your brilliance. Never forget your challenges and how you face them and use it as a guide and reminder of how strong you really are in the face of alcohol. Although Lucy and
0: I have shared our experiences of our first 100 days alcohol-free, it is different for everybody. And that is a really important thing to remember. It's good to be prepared, but not try to have too many expectations. As we know, they lead to disappointment, don't they? They do. As they might throw you off course and things turn out different than what you expect, stay open-minded and ready to face each bump in the road as it comes.
1: These first 100 days will be like no other in your life. For this reason, reach out beyond your normal activities and do what it takes to make it through. Follow what feels right within you. I have never in my life felt the need to knit, yet somehow it felt like the thing to do to stay sober, so I did it. Follow your urges, so long as they don't involve alcohol, another addictive substance or anything dangerous. Except that your need to drink booze might be bigger
0: than you. And that it's okay to reach out for help. This is especially true if you have a physical addiction. Book an appointment with your local GP and give them, you know, they will help you make a plan and you can tell them what you're worried about. Likewise, a GP can refer you
1: to a therapist to help you with the mind games that involve giving up the grog. If you attempt 100 days and don't make it, don't beat yourself up over it. Even if you managed a week, that is better than drinking throughout that week. But we want you to make it through a hundred days and beyond. Assess what worked for you and what didn't, and use this and maybe some of the tips Vic and I have suggested to arm yourself for your next attempt. Remember, sobriety is the gift that keeps on giving. Giving up booze for a hundred days is a fricking amazing
0: thing to do, but it won't bring you to the true reality of sober life. For this you need to keep going. The best bit is that it gets easier and the rewards are more plentiful the longer you are sober so keep going stick with it and you'll finally get to Lucy where Lucy and I are rambling on about it when we talk about the wonders of the long-term sobriety you have to live it to believe it and
1: the only way of starting off the starting block are those first hundred days and remember, no shame here, as our saying goes, fucked up but trying to be better. So just keep trying and you will get there. Before you know it, that 100 days will turn into a 1,000 and then you can skip off into the sunset with a bottle of kombucha and some bliss balls and dance until the sun goes down. Or, like me, you can hide in a cave until everyone goes home and then dance on your own. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty spot <laughs> That's on. That's me. <laughs> yeah.
0: This new year is a chance to make some changes, so we recommend you take this opportunity. If you haven't started the sober journey yet, then now is your chance. Let's kick the normalisation of over-drinking in the gonads and clear your path to 2022. We want you to have a happy new year, not a hungover one. We want you to thrive, be happier, instead of staying in bed, ordering dominoes, and wishing you hadn't snogged Dealer Pete as the (laughs) clock struck midnight.
1: Did you do that as well? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and we'd also like to take this opportunity to let you know how much we appreciate you, our listeners, and all the support that you've given us, your emails, likes, comments and reviews. mean, this little podcast is getting... 20,000 downloads a month, which we can't really believe, can we, Vic? No, sure how that came Amazing. About. Uh, we are so overwhelmed, and it's your words that keep us motivated. Please be sure to pop onto iTunes and give us a review, as this really helps us to get the message out there. Have you got any goals for 2022, Lucy? I haven't thought about it yet. Yeah, mine's to shout less at my children <laughs> like a rabid howler monkey. <laughs> I feel different. I think being sober going into a new year, you don't sort of, you're not constantly thinking oh, I need to improve myself. I'm quite content with who I am and how things are trotting, well, sort of trotting along. What a fabulous, you know, that is
0: your, a fabulous uh, representation of a sober person right there. Yeah. You don't even have a resolution, you're just happy with how yeah, it's going. Perfectly. Exactly right, yeah. Yeah. Um, the quote today is by Melody Beattie. The new year stands before us like a chapter in a book waiting to be written.
1: And for people who are listening to this when it's not their new year, remember you can start your first 100 days at any time of the year, whenever the moment takes you, you know, just do it. Just get on with it.
0: I'm not going to read the book of the week because I think that was a lovely way to end the podcast, Lucy, by that lovely quote. The new year stands before you. So guys, take the opportunity if you can, because we can assure you that a sober life is much better than a drunk one.
1: Yeah, it is. Thank you, everybody. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year, everyone.
0: Thank you for listening to the Sober Awkward podcast. If alcohol is affecting your
1: life in a negative way, if you're struggling to moderate or your hangovers are causing anxiety, it might be time to reach out for help. Contact your local doctor, a therapist, or connect with your local AA or sobriety group. Vic's got one?
0: Yes go onto Facebook and just search Drunk Mummy, Sober Mummy, the group. Lucy and I both agree that even though this journey can be awkward, it's definitely worth it.
1: And if we can do it, you can too. For more support on sobriety, head to Vic's website, mummycom And Lucy runs an online space
0: to support and inspire single mums. Find out more at beanstalkmums.com.au. Finally, if you've enjoyed the Sober Awkward podcast, don't forget to follow, subscribe, review, and share it with your mates. Yeah, don't make it sound like they have to, though. No, they do have to. I'm not doing all this for nothing. Actually. No.